This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Um, I do want to look at something this morning, and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to hit kind of hard this morning. I'm just going to be kind of blunt. It is what it is. Um, But I want to talk about what I've entitled is the downward spiral. Now, this has happened in my life. It may have happened in your life. It's where conditions have not always been what you dreamt of, what you dreamed about, what you thought life was going to be. And it just went a different direction for you. Surprises. Uh, just things that happened in negative, what we would interpret as bad ways. And I want to consider a few things from the Bible um, with that idea and, and what happens and then what the answers is to when that happens. So I, I'm going to tell you it's going to possibly hit a little hard and I don't mean to offend. I, that's not my intent at all. But I do want to take a serious look at it because life does happen. And it happens in a very um, vivid and real, uh, a real way that we experience, we feel, we see, we, we touch, we get hurt, all of those things. I want to look at that this morning. I want to start by looking at a passage that David wrote as he expressed this prayer before God. And it was as his life was kind of spiraling downward and kind of unraveling on him. And he writes this, this is after he realized his sin and things of that nature, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, there's a lot more to this this prayer, and we could read it all. I'm just not going to take the time this morning. I encourage you to go to Psalm 51 and read this. When we look at the life of David and all that he experienced, I want you to consider his prayer at the end, and we're going to come back to that at the the close of, of this lesson. Do you remember the feeling and the joy you felt The day that you accepted the Lord in baptism, you came to Him, you were rejoicing, there was nothing could defeat you, you were happy, you were delighted, you would tell the world. Think about it just for a moment. That experience, for some of us, that was many, many years ago. Some of us, maybe not so long ago. Do you remember the feeling? Do you remember the joy you felt that day? The shout of joy that you felt in your soul when you experienced the saving power of the gospel. How sure of victory you were then. How easy it seemed to be more than conquerors through Him that loved us as the Scriptures teach us. With Jesus as your Lord, how could you ever dream of defeat? How? And yet to so many, how different The outcome is over the years. Victories few, growing less every day, defeats many, and disastrous in many cases. Life happens. It just happens. 
Sometimes it's consequences to our own actions and lives. Sometimes it's not. Just depending on what happens. The good, the bad, the ugly, it all happens in life. It's just part of our life experience. Unfortunately, at least for how we feel about that, but it is. It's very real and it happens. And we need to face that. I want to talk about David just a little bit. As he penned this, what was going on? What was happening in his life that caused him to pen beautiful words, beautiful words, a beautiful prayer for the Lord to restore him to the joy that he once had? Have you been there? I've been there actually a few times. I've experienced this over and over. And I think it's incumbent that we look at this honestly and openly and deal with it and know how to handle ourselves in this situation. I want you to think about it. David, his life, he had an impressive early years. I want you to think about it. Many of us have dreams and aspirations when we're young and when we grow up we want to be this and we want to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to conquer this as we grow up a little older. Maybe we're going to do great and mighty things for God. That may be our focus, maybe our intent. It was David's. You remember when the whole army of Israel would not go out to fight Goliath? <laughs> Scared to death. David couldn't have been taller than me, I don't think. <laughs> Little guy, young, naive, right? He's naive. He just doesn't know. It's kind of what Saul thought. But David's like, my God will fight this battle. I'll go and fight um, Goliath for God. God's with me. And that was David. And we, all of us older, mature people, would look at that and go, David, yeah, Saul, Saul did that. Looked at him and laughed. Gave him his shield and sword to go fight it and just like, okay. Hey, y'all, y'all come around and watch because we're about to see a massive slaughter here. Well, they did. It just wasn't the person they thought it was going to be, was it? David went out and fought the, the, the battle with Goliath. He had goals of serving God. He recognized God in his life. He recognized God was in control, and he took it on. That was David. When he was young, still in his father's house, Samuel comes around. Chooses David to be king. He's not king yet. But he told him, you're going to be the king. You're God's anointed. This was David. He had a future, right? He had a future of serving God that was going to be beautiful. He was a musician. He played for the king, King Saul. And when Saul was in distress, he played even more for him to try to relax him, to soothe him, to soothe his distressed soul, I think is how it's worded. David was a great warrior. He won battle after battle. And this began to make Saul jealous because the people started following and, and cheering on David for these wins. And Saul was not getting as much credit anymore. Made him jealous. Ultimately, and I, there's so much to tell in the story of David. I'm just going to move along. I'm going to condense it so tight. But ultimately, David becomes king. 
of Israel. A fantastic king, really, in a lot of ways. Probably one of the best that Israel had. A lot of references leaned upon in recognizing David. David sitting on the throne. Uh, Jesus restoring the throne and things of that nature. Speaking of David's throne, David got a lot of credit for that. He was a man that was renowned. He continued to win battles. He was an impressive king. A great leader uh, with an impressive life. He wanted to do more. He had big plans to serve God. Big plans. He was going to build the temple. That was David's idea. We're not going to meet in this little shack anymore, tent. I'm going to build the temple for God. He's deserving of it. That was David. Big plans of serving God. And then it happened. He's relaxing at the palace. He looks out over Jerusalem and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He gives in to his lust. He brings her into the palace. He commits adultery with her and in an attempt to cover up his sin. Isn't that what we do? We don't want it seen or known, so we want to cover it up. This is what David did. He eventually murders her husband. Now, he was one of the lead warriors in his army, front man. But to cover his sin, he seeks to murder or have him killed. It was his doing. He murdered him. Uriah. He now marries the now-widowed Bathsheba. They are to have a baby. The baby is not to live. And David uh, basically was prostrate for what, a week, I think? I'm having to go back in my memory bank here, but I think it was a week that he just was bereaving this, wanting this child to be able to live. God said no. Nathan comes to him, the prophet. You may recall. And he tells him this little story. And David finally acknowledges and realizes that that story was about him, that he had stolen somebody else's prize, possession, person, wife. And he prays. That's part of the prayer that he prayed. Repenting, realizing the devastation that he has caused in other people's lives, in his own life, in his service to God. He realizes that wasn't service to God. He feels ashamed. David repents with much grief. He's crying out to God for mercy. Later on, as time goes on, Solomon is born. Then his family grew. He had other sons and daughters. And let me tell you something, it wasn't over. David repented. David made a change in his life, but he still had some consequences, whether all of his or not, uh, his doings. He had some boys that were rebellious that gave him a lot of grief and gave him a lot of problems in life. Real life happened for David. (laughs) All his dreams basically shattered. 
God tells him, you're not going to build that temple. Or through the prophet, but you're not going to build the temple. Your son will build the temple. That was David's plan to do that. That's how much he wanted to serve God. And he was set back a little, wasn't he? Eh, maybe a lot. But he was set back. Was not able to accomplish these grandeur things that he had planned to do for God. Have you ever felt like this in life? I can tell you I have. You start out strong, you start out determined, but after years of reality have hit, it's spun out of control. And you're left wondering what went wrong. Is there any way to raise above all of your mistakes? Is there? And so real life happens. Sicknesses. Friends who betray you. Cancer. Marriage issues. Even divorce. Financial stress. Death. All these things, they're so depressing, they're so negative, they so hurt, don't they? They hurt. These are real life issues. And so then in self-evaluation, I hope, anyway, you recognize and you live, this is, this is my experience. You haven't lived as though you knew a Christian ought to live. You just haven't. I mean, it might look good on the outside, but there's issues. You've talked about Christ, you've believed in Him, you've served Him, but you see, He is really unknown as the dweller of your soul on a daily basis. And you're not experiencing that. And you're distraught. You're distressed over the problems that's going on in your life. And you're left wondering, how in the world can I deal with it? What do I do? You've had a clear understanding of doctrinal truths. I mean, you could teach them <laughs> forward and backwards, all the doctrinal truths, but you've still got a problem and you know it. You've not really experienced their life and power in your life. You've rejoiced in your knowledge of Scripture, but have not had a living realization of the things themselves being true in your soul. You've trusted this truth to feed and nourish your spiritual life, but in spite of it all, your soul is starving within. You cry out in secret prayer to God again and again for that spiritual bread and water of life that you know is promised to all believers. Why are you not experiencing it? But in the very depths of the, your heart, you know that your religion is nothing but talk and not really a living realization of your faith. Yet you continue to come to the assemblies. <laughs> you put on a mask, right? We're good at that. That's what I've done. We put on a mask. Nobody knows, right? Nobody knows what I'm dealing with. This was real to me not too many years ago. This was very, very real. Pretending to be what you know you should be, but inside you know that you still have issues. You have sin that you're dealing with. 
So your heart grows more weary day by day, year after year. You feel hopeless. Your early visions of victory, right? All the grand things you were going to do. Turn more dim. And you've grown to accept that the best you can expect from your Christian walk is a life of alternating victory and failure. Victory and failure. Just back and forth. And you rise and then you fall. And we just experience this over and over again. One hour sinning and the next repenting. Then beginning again only to fail again and again to repent. I'm going to assume this morning that I'm not alone here. (laughs) That I'm not the only one that has dealt with this. Because I certainly have. And if I have, I just suspect that other people have dealt with this same type of thing and leaving, wondering, what can I do to really solve this dilemma that I'm in? It's a downward spiral that just continues to go. Now look, I know I've painted just a very bleak picture of life. I don't know if you can get much darker and depressing than what I just spent my opening statements in. That's dark. It's horrible. But I ask you, is this what the Christian life is really all about? Is that what we are to expect? Is this what the Lord Jesus Christ intended when He laid down His life for my sins? To deliver us from the bondage that sin had us in. Did He intend that He would only partially deliver us? Partially? Did he intend to leave us struggling with a weary heart? Defeated and discouraged? Was there a hidden reserve in the promises that meant he would not fully supply our need? Is that the promise that we hang our hat on today as Christians? Did being made more than conquerors mean constant defeat and failure? Does being saved to the uttermost. Boy, I'm throwing some out there, aren't we? This this is what Scripture tells us. We're saved to the uttermost. Did that mean to barely be saved? Can we imagine that the Savior who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities could possibly be satisfied with the life we are living today? Wearing his name. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 8. John says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or made known, that's what that means, that he might destroy the works of the devil. His purpose in coming was that he destroys the works of the devil. Why am I still feeling those works? Why am I still experiencing the devil in my life? Is this beyond his power? I mean, John says that was his purpose. Is it beyond his power? Is he unable to accomplish the thing he was sent to do? I hope you know the answer to that. Look, one thing I want you to understand before we go any further into this is that Jesus came to save you. Absolutely. He came to save 
you. You. Me. And if he can save me, he can save you. I'll guarantee you. That's what he came to do. To destroy the works of Satan and to save you. He came to save you eternally. But let me tell you something. I believe stronger now than I ever have in my life. He intended for you to have a living realization of this in your life while you're alive. Today. Not just at Judgment Day. Today. He wants you to know that. It's a different life. It's a living realization of that salvation in your life. He came to save us now from the power and dominion of sin and to make us more than conquerors through His power. Look, if you doubt this, I I challenge you, search your Bibles. Everywhere in Scripture where it refers to the purpose and the object of His death, it states very clearly that it was to deliver us from our sins. That means to take you out of it and to no longer be living in it. I mean, just to put it simply, that's what that means. Not a hint of it was given anywhere that this deliverance was only to be experienced at Judgment Day. Oh, that's the ultimate, absolutely. But you should be experiencing it today if you're one of His children. You should. Let's look at a few examples from scriptures that support this. When the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, he announced the coming birth of the Savior. He said this. I want you to listen carefully to what was said. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. I want you to just think about that. Now, let's go to another. When Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, and at the birth of his son, John, he prophesied, he declared that God had visited His people in order to fulfill the promise and oath He had made to them. Look at what it says. That He would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. That doesn't sound like a life full of sin, does it? All the days of our life is to be full of holiness and righteousness before Him. That was what was to come when Christ comes. Acts 3, verse 26 in the early church. Peter was preaching on the porch of the temple to the Jews. And he said this, Unto you first, God, unto you first, God, having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from His iniquities. If I'm in iniquities and I turn away from the iniquities, am I walking in the iniquities anymore? No. And this is what Peter reminds them that God had done for them in sending Jesus. Paul, when writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5 and verse 27, told them of the wondrous truth that Christ had so loved them as to give Himself for them. 
And then he goes on to declare that his purpose in doing so was this. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So what he meant here was that we be full of sin and walk in iniquity, right? That's not what Paul said. That's not what Peter said. Let's read a few more. Titus 2, verses 12 to 14. Paul told Titus here concerning the grace of God that the object of that grace was to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us, pay the price, from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That just doesn't sound like he's left us to have to deal with this sin, right? Now there's a level of that that we're going to talk about and we do have to deal with it. But how do we deal with it? That's going to be the real question. Peter in 1 Peter 2 verse 21 <clears throat> wrote of how we should walk in a Christ-like manner. He wrote, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Okay? So we should follow His steps. He left an example. We should follow His steps. What are they? And He begins, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. You see, His very purpose and His example before us and our steps following after Him are to pursue ungodliness, to pursue the world, to pursue the flesh. No, that's not what He said. Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. That's what we emulate, if I can get the word out. That's what our life is to be. It's not always. Now, you're already thinking, okay, look, but we're not always that way, right? I know I'm not that way. I'm not. You're probably thinking the same thing. We'll deal with that, but we're talking about the objective here. What's the object that we're looking at? To emulate Christ in our life, who did no sin, no guile found in his mouth. And then he adds this in verse 24. Uh, do I have it there? Oh, okay. He adds, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, that means they're crucified, they're gone. We're dead to them. They are dead to us, right? We should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. The purpose clearly is that we follow after holiness, that our lives look like Jesus' lives. Again, you may look and go, Brother Leland, I even know you, Brother Leland. Some of you do anyway. Maybe I don't know everybody real well. But I know you, and you're not Jesus. <laughs> Boy, that couldn't be for, uh, it could not be more true, because I'm not. And you're not. We're not. We're followers of Jesus. But Jesus has taught us to pursue Him. 
and not after the, these worldly things. So let's go on. Paul compared in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 22, the walk of the Christian to the walk of the unbeliever. Okay? So he's comparing, he's contrasting. And he says this, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, when a, a change happens in our lives and we begin to follow after Jesus, we are pursuing Him. Will we stumble? Yeah. But we're not focused on the stumble. <laughs> don't let the stumble really trip you up. And that's a bad pun. But don't let it. Because if you fall, you get back up. And you follow after you. You are pursuing Jesus even if you fall. Even if you trip. Does that make sense? That's our life. That's our life. We don't give up. We are not give uppers. <laughs> That is us. Yeah, my grammar's a little weird sometimes. <laughs> but we pursue after holiness. We pursue after Jesus, not after the flesh or unworldly or the worldliness. Okay. So if that's still not enough, we've looked at several scriptures, but I wanna I wanna address this one. Paul addresses the question as to whether a child of God should continue in sin and how utterly foreign it was to the purpose of salvation in Jesus. Utterly foreign. It was not even to be attempted or lived in or pursued. Okay, but he addresses that here. Romans 6 verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because, see, the teaching was and is, His grace is beyond anything that we can do. His grace can reach us, no matter what we're experiencing in life. His grace is big enough to do that. Do you believe that? I believe that. It absolutely is. But He asked the question, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because we know there's going to be more grace. Then we can just continue in sin, right? That's not the objective. Look what he said. God forbid. You see, that's not God's plan. Oh, he has the grace. And his grace will cover your sins. But our view from our perspective is like, okay, well, God's got this no matter what, so I can go ahead and do this, right? I can go ahead and sin. And we just deliberately go ahead first, you know, headstrong into it. Knowing that God's going to, He's got us. He's got us taken care of. That is not the attitude to have. While that may be true, that's up to God. God has the ability to forgive anything and everything that you do. Everything. Every little thing, Cody. Amen. Everything. I'm so happy about that. Amen. But that does not mean we use it as a license to sin. To just go after it. Pursue it. Without any thought. God's got it. That is mind-blowing. We have lost it with that viewpoint. We've just lost it. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
You see, sin is dead to us. So why do we go over and want to keep living in it? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, <coughs> pardon me, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We're not talking about at the day of judgment in the end when life is all over. We're, he's talking about our walk in our life right now because Christ was raised up from the dead. We are raised up from the dead. We no longer live in sin. We pursue after Him. We're in Christ. That makes sense? And then verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Wouldn't you love that? <laughs> Just destroy it. Well, that's what He came to do. You see, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We're not serving sin. We're not pursuing sin. That's not what our life's about. We're not defined by the sin that we have dealt with and that we deal with. That's not our de definition of who we are. How are we defined? By Christ who lives in us. Thank God. Thank God. Because if I had to be defined by who I really am, what a pathetic life. And how disappointed you would be. I'm not defined by that. And because of Christ living in me, I now have power that I can overcome these things with His help. I heard a preacher say one time, there's not anything good in me except Jesus Christ. And it's so true. There's nothing good in me. I'm so undeserving. I'm so full of sin, really, of who I really am and my nature and what I want to do or would do if it weren't for Christ living in me. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Makes all the difference in the world. Now, we see these promises. We see how things ought to be, right? What do we do with it? You see, the same question that troubled the early church troubles us today. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We may also ask, well, through faith then, do we make void the law? That question was asked. And Paul dealt with that in Romans uh, 8. Let's turn there. Romans 8, and he dealt with this. He said, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, likeness of you and me, right? And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Did He say, like, oh, he, I'm not going to condemn the sin in your flesh. It's okay. I understand you're a sinful being. You just go right ahead and sin. That's not what he said. It says here that God sending His own Son, who are we talking about? Jesus, right? In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it. He's not okay with it. That's what that means. 
He doesn't expect us, nor does He want us to live in this sin in the flesh. He goes on that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, we actually fulfill the heart of the law when we allow Him to work in our lives and to follow after Him, not giving in to sin. Willingly, right? With a heart that wants to please Him. Not a law that just says you must. We get the privilege to. To do it on our own. To do it of our own will. And to be able to please God in doing that. Do we honestly think? Let's just just put the rubber on the road. Do we honestly think that God who hates sin in the in the center, and clearly He does. He came to, to um, declare that that was wrong, to not support it. Do we think that God who hates the sin is willing to tolerate it in the Christian? He's going to hate it in the world so He can, comes to save them, and then now that you're a Christian, it's okay. People think that. This isn't a, a made-up thing. I mean, it's very real. People think that it just doesn't matter. God's grace will cover you. It doesn't matter what we do. That's so sad. Do we think that He's even arranged a plan of salvation in such a way as to make it impossible for those who are saved from the guilt of sin to be saved from its power over their lives? Do we think that's His plan? God did not kill the sin in our souls when we came to Him in baptism, only to then say, it's okay to sin now. It's okay because now you have God's grace. Sin is still sin. Sin still separates from God. Sin is still a wrong uh, action. It's a wrong thing for us to be in. And we should recognize that. Does it creep into our lives occasionally? Yes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our pursuit of it. It's wrong. And we just need to own that. We know what the object is. We know what the objective is, is to not sin. And because we may stumble and sin along the way to knowing that's wrong, we then have a conscience about it, right? Hopefully, the guilt rises again, right? I've just sinned. I know that I've hurt my Lord. And it should drive us to repentance again, which was all that David was doing. That's what he did. He repented, made a change in his heart, a change in his life that pursued after God again. <laughs> you know what David was called or referred to quite often as a man of, after God's own heart? David. Think about it. The things that David did, come on. If that happened today, we would be disgusted. We would. Well, that should never, right, happen among God's people. But I want you to know, David was recognized as a man after God's own heart because he pursued after God. He did get caught up in sin. He did have problems. It took a prophet, it took a messenger from God to be able to visit with them about that and for him to see 
that He is the one. Listen, sin is deceptive. And we scratch our heads and we look at that and we go, He knew. He knew better. How did He not know? Well, let me tell you something. Sin is deceptive. And you can get caught up in it and it's a downward spiral that just has no end except for repentance. True repentance. And when David came to that knowledge and realization that it was him, the leader of God's people at the time that had sinned, he repented. Why did he repent? Because he got caught? Because God knew? (laughs) We want to easily throw that out. But we have record of the fact that he truly repented and we we can read his word, Psalm 51. Go look at it. Read it. We read his prayer. He had a heart after God. He had a heart after God. Don't judge him too hard. And don't judge your brothers too hard either, by the way. Brothers and sisters, don't judge them hard. Life happens. And we've got to face up to it and realize what to do with it. And I'm going to tell you the answer is a humble repentance before God. Before God. Maybe before a brother, if it was a brother we sinned against. Maybe there's other people to get involved at times. But let me tell you who David went to. And I'm going to tell you that's who we need to go to. And that's to God. A humble repentance. Hebrews 7 and verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by Him, by Jesus. He is able to save to the uttermost. Now, I don't know what uttermost means to you, but that sounds like it's without limit. There's not any, there's not any more you can grab from. The uttermost, that's what our God does for us. Now, I want to look at one more thing. If you had a loved one in a foreign land, let's say, and he was held captive, and nothing but money could free him, If it were possible, you would gladly pay that price if you had it. If you were able to, you could gather up the money to do it to free your loved one from the prison he's in. You would pay it if it were possible, right? I would. You would redeem him with that money. I'm paying the ransom and they're going to set him free, right? That's the idea. I want to ask, what if then you paid the price, but he was never freed? You paid the price, but he's still in prison. Would he be able to claim, oh, I'm so thankful I've been freed? He's still in prison. It doesn't matter how much money was paid if he's still in prison. Let me ask it another way. Only if he were fully released would he fully appreciate the redemption that was offered? Now, what if he recognized that the price had been paid? He knew. He had heard that you had paid the price. The prison doors had been opened. And he decided to stay in the prison because it felt safer there. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do with our sin. Christ has paid the price. He has burst the gates of hell open for us. 
The prison is open. We are free to live for Him. And why is it that we willingly put ourselves back in prison? We want to be in subjection to that and pursue that when we've been freed by our Savior. Why? And so I want to ask, are you a prisoner of anything? Anyone? Anybody? Are you a prisoner of sin? Jesus said in John 8 and verse 34, He that committeth sin is a servant of sin. And that means he's a slave to sin. That means it is controlling you, that sin. That's what sin does. And if you're committing sin, you're a slave to it, you're a servant to it, you're a captive who must be redeemed to be freed. Somebody says, who will pay the price? I'm poor. Brethren, the price has already been paid for you. His name, Jesus. If I've come to Him in faith and obedience to the gospel, then I need to come out of my captivity, do I not? Come out. You're free. He's the Redeemer. Why do we still wander in sin? (laughs) This is such a mystery, and I battle it too. I ask this question much like Paul did. Must this crooked heart always remain within me? (laughs) Because it just feels like I can't shake it all the time. It always seems to want to resurface. Must I be a believer and yet have no faith that reaches to holy living? Is there no victory over sin today? Must it prevail over me as long as I live? He made us more than conquerors. And we need to understand how. If we are ever to appreciate the joy of the Lord in our lives, we must understand how to overcome this life. Paul gives us this reassurance in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. And it'll be our last passage, but I won't talk about it just for a moment. Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, it's common. Everybody deals with it, okay? He adds, though, God is faithful. As our God, He is faithful. He's faithful like we don't understand faithfulness in our society, right? We, We Used to, your handshake was a contract and you could trust everybody's word, right? Not today in in real estate. We're buying a house and it's a stack of papers like this that you're having to sign off on to free everybody from everything, right? Because such a litigious society. We are going to sue if one little dot or something's not right. Buy a car, buy anything. I mean, it's that way. We don't understand faithfulness today. And so I don't think when we read this that we really understand what this is saying. But what it is saying simply is that God will do everything He said He will do at the time He said He will do it. Period. That's our God. You can take it to the bank. You can trust His Word. God is faithful. I sound like I'm yelling and mad. I'm really not mad. Just passionate. God is faithful. Do we not trust Him? 
to do what he said he would do. He's our God. He's not our neighbor. He's not the guy we can't trust down the street. We're talking about God is faithful. In the truest sense of the word, faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's the first faithful word about Him, right? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But will with the temptation... But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's talk very frank here for just a moment. He did not say in this passage that He would remove the temptation. He did not say that. Some people say, I know the Lord will not put on me any more than I can handle. Pretty common cliche. But that's not in the Scriptures. That's not what He says. He didn't say he won't put on more. In fact, the Apostle Paul said a few times that we went through things we could not bear. It was beyond our ability to bear, but God brought us through. You see, sometimes there are things we can't bear, and we need him to carry the load for us. But let me tell you what he did say. When we're dealing with temptation, God is faithful, and he's not going to allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. So if you're succumbing to it, it's not God's fault. God's not presenting that to you. He's providing a way of escape. So let's talk about the escape for a moment. What is the escape? Well, I just want to say, first of all, as a Christian, that we've been given the Holy Spirit to live in our lives, to guide us, to direct us, to convict us. I believe that. And we need to be utilizing and listening to the Spirit. Number two, prayer. God has given us open access to Him on His throne. Open access to talk to our Creator about what we're dealing with. That's another way of escape. You see it? Number three, reading the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> You're tempted? Open the Word of God. Open the Word of God you're going to be less likely to be drawn away in the, to that temptation, right? There's, there's three right away of things that we can do to escape. But there's more. How about accountability to a brother in Christ, brother or sister in Christ? Accountability. Somebody that I can call when I have a need and I'm tempted by something or I need a little extra help. I need somebody to pray for me. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what we're here for. I mean, above all things, that, that's what we're here for. Call your brothers. Call them. If they're handling themselves correctly, they're going to know that they need to pray because they know they're tempted just like you are. They have some of the same things. So in meekness, in a spirit of meekness, we're going to pray for one another because we care. There's four. Four ways of escape. I'm not even talking about the unknown ways of escape. I'm talking about things that are in our lap. Ways of escape that we have access to. Number five. I'm going to suggest a few others. Stay focused and busy serving in the work of the Lord. Find a way to stay busy doing something that serves somebody else for God's glory. That's five. How many you want? Be at the assemblies. 
That should go probably without saying, but be at the assemblies. And fellowship, other activities. Be with your brothers and, and sisters. Let me tell you something. When I'm with my brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not tempted to sin right now. I'm not. That is not a lure at the moment because I have faces to look at of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who trust God and who will help me there right here. We can talk about positive things, Scripture. We can talk about things that's going to encourage me in my Christian walk right now. There's no, you know when I'm tempted to sin? When I'm not with my brothers and sisters. When I'm alone. When nobody knows. That's when the temptation's real. And that's why we need the accountability and other things, I think. That's six, I think. And then the last one I'm going to give you. Just avoid the temptation. <laughs> that sounds so simple, right? It's easy to say. But avoid the temptation. What do I mean? Remove yourself from the environment that you're in that's causing a problem. Just remove yourself from it. Remove the thing that's tempting you. Jesus said if your right arm is tempting you, cut it off. He makes his point. I don't know about you, but we probably ought to be a bunch of armless people right now. In dealing with that, if we took that literal, but his point is do whatever it takes to get rid of it, get away from it. Don't, don't give in to it. Get it out of your life. And that's what we need to do. So, when we begin to act responsibly as Christians and utilize the very people that God gave to us, like our local congregation of saints and other methods maybe that we've talked about here to escape these temptations, we will begin to overcome sin in our lives. Will it be perfect? Perhaps not. That, that bodily glorification happens at Judgment Day, and that's when it's perfect. That's when it'll be perfect. It'll be great. We will be forever shed from dealing with these issues. But in the meantime, they're real. They're here. What do we do with them? I'll leave you again. I said that was the last passage, but I wanted to come back. Uh, there's some of the issues. I forgot I had that up there. Psalm 51, I'm going to bring you back to this passage. Think about David. Think about what he went through. Make this prayer your own. Listen. Cast me not away from your presence. Can't you hear the cry in his voice as he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Please, Lord, I know I have to have it. I know I need it. Don't take it away. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Create in me. What is our objective? We want to be like Christ, right? But we can't do it on our own. I'm telling you, you think you can do it on your own, I want to visit with you. You can't do it on your own. You've got to have the Lord's help. And so the prayer is to Him to create in us a new heart that can deal with these issues in our life. I hope it's been beneficial to you somehow in what we've discussed here that you'll give some consideration to it in your own life. As I have dealt with it, I'm sure many of you have dealt with it, but if you're still dealing with it, you must know there is love in the house of God. There is compassion, there is patience, there's care. Jesus said, cast your care upon me. 
upon Jesus, upon him. Why? Peter was writing this, and the reason he said that was because Jesus cares for you. <laughs> he knows what you're going through. He was tempted in all points, just like we, yet he did it without sin. But he was tempted in all points, like you and I are. Give over your life fully to him. Trust him to be able to clean you up to what you want it to be. Because I know you want this. Just as you're here this morning. That's a testament of that. You're pursuing God. Give it all over to him. Let him save you. Today, this morning, right now, as we stand and sing the song that was selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.